That's good stuff. Some of us get to be here for both services, get to do that twice. So if you want more, come to both. I'm Steve Blummer. I'm one of the other pastors here at Hope Chapel, and I get the privilege of bringing today's message as our lead pastor is away. He'll be back next week, uh, relaunching into our study of the book of Hebrews. You know, preaching on the first Sunday of the new year is kind of like preaching at Christmas. At Christmas, there's expectations on hearing about Jesus being born, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men, star. We kind of expect those things. As we launch into the new year, there's expectations on uh, messages about resolutions or goal settings, uh, how to be a better person, reading the Bible, all those kind of things. And in a way, we, we definitely need to hear those things. We need to hear those things throughout the year because we need constant, constant reminders and motivations. How many of you have a smartphone that you have a Bible app on there? Please raise your hand. All right. How many of you use the Bible app? You read the Bible from your phone. How many of you refuse to do that? You have to have the paper copy. All right, good, good, good. How many of you don't read the Bible at all? <laughs> My son. <laughs> oh boy, we got some things to talk about. <laughs> I go back and forth. Sometimes I like reading it on my phone because it's very convenient. Um, but sometimes I just don't like having a flashlight shining in my eyes all the time. So I do like the feel of the paper copy, something in my hand to read. But there's something pretty cool about the, the Bible app in specific that I have on my phone is that every time you open it, it records that you have opened the app and hopefully reading the Bible and uh, if you do that day after day after day, it creates this open streak. And if you open it every day of the week, you get a perfect week. And so in 2019, here's what it said that I did. I opened the Bible app 327 times out of 365. That's pretty good, isn't it? First service was like, wow, you're amazing. We got 24 perfect weeks, so you can see half the time I wasn't very good all week long. Um, it shows you there's plans that you can read in there. Plans are really uh, helpful. I did one plan this year. I'm not a big fan of the plan, but we can talk about that later. But I was impressed that I've got five new friends last year. So you can, get, you can be friends on the app, and so you can see what they read, and they can see what you read. So maybe that's why I don't have very many more than five. No one wants me to see what they're reading. Uh, but you, if you have the app, I'd really encourage you, the Bible app. It helps you keep kind of track. You need those constant motivations every year to open up the app and to read the Bible. Now, I'm not showing you that so that I can brag, because if I'm honest, there's some days where I just open the app, saw the verse of the day, close the app, put it in my pocket. All right? But it's important for us to have these constant reminder to be in God's Word. Constant reminders to be in church throughout the year. And I'm, I'm praying that we will be making those kind of spiritual decisions throughout the year to get into church on Sunday as much as is possible within our ability to dedicate every time to pray and to open God's word. But of course, it's just any type of New Year goals, whether that's exercising more or cutting out the carbs and the sugar or having more intentional time with family and friends. It's quick to get back to the old way of doing things, unless we're really serious about change. 
And we know that we're serious about the change because we're going to keep after it week after week, month after month, even when we fail, even when we're not doing things perfectly, we're going to keep at it. And those kind of changes really challenge us to be radical in our routine. Radical in our routine. And to be radical from our routine, we sometimes need outside motivations such as God or a person holding us accountable. Sometimes we need to find pivotal circumstances in our life where we say, you know what, I don't want things to be the same anymore. I want them to be different. And sometimes that's an illness or a hurtful habit or a broken relationship that causes us to say, I've got to have things different in my life. So in preparation for what God would have me to preach and to teach on today, I, as we read the Bible, I was really struck by this phrase that I found over and over, from now on. From now on. Think about that. It declares that something is completely changed. From now on. No longer are things going to be the same. Something's going to be different. And when you think about your life, I don't know what it is that you wish was different. I don't know what it is that you would say, you know what, from now on, I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be like this. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your spiritual walk with God. Maybe it's breaking an old habit, giving up alcohol, stop having this negative self-talk, overcoming anxiety. Maybe you just want a new hairstyle. I don't know what it is, but something you know has to change from now on. So I want to look at a few of these phrases in the Bible and see how and what we need to be considering as we're thinking about from now on in 2020. The first one that I've picked is from Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs underneath you or in front of you, this is on page 419. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Take your Bible, split in half, just back up a little bit. Nehemiah, we'll be looking at chapter 2. Now, Nehemiah is a part of the book of Ezra in understanding what's going on. As far as history and context, the, the nation of Israel has turned away from God in so many different ways that God is punishing them by bringing a foreign nation in to destroy the city and to carry most of them away to captivity. Well, years and years of this has passed, and God has finally allowed, through new kings and leaders, to allow some of the people to return to Jerusalem, and uh, Ezra is with them. These people rebuild an altar of sacrifice to God, and as well as establish a place of worship. It's not as great as it was in the days of Solomon, but it was something. Yet they had struggled to get this wall rebuilt around Jerusalem that would provide them protection from their enemies. And Nehemiah, he's still in captivity, and when he hears the news about the wall, he is completely broken. God has put it on his heart, and he has this opportunity to go before the king because he's the cupbearer to request resources and to ask for a time of leave to go provide some help. The king graciously grants all of his requests, and he's off to help. He gets there. He further assesses the situation. He talks with the leaders about how God has put this on his heart. And that's when we have verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2 that I want to highlight. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. When Sambalot the Horonite, 
Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. But you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot of amazing things that we can glean from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We certainly don't have time to process all of those things in one message, let alone a part of a message. And even though the phrase from now on is not in there, we get the idea. We will start building. It's finally at this moment that there's no more preparation. There's only participation. Before now, the wall was not getting rebuilt. Now the wall is going to be rebuilt. And there's nothing special about Nehemiah. He's not just the guy who shows up. He's a great motivational speaker. He's not the billionaire who brought the resources. The people had tried to do this before, but now it was different. And I think one of the key things that made it different is that Nehemiah is building on what Ezra and the people before him were building on. See, one thing that Ezra and the people did do right is the proper order of projects. They were concerned about worship and prayer and a proper relationship with God which always precedes a work of God to rebuild what is broken. I want to say that again so that you get it. They were concerned about worship and prayer and a proper relationship with God, which always precedes a work of God to rebuild what was broken. The book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's full of recorded prayers. They're praying and they're fasting. It's always in conjunction with action. It shows the importance of God proceeding and succeeding in their goals. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we see where Nehemiah hears the news of the broken wall. He doesn't get fired up right away and walks into the king's presence to demand things. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. Just the next page over. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. If there is going to be any from now on action in your life, worship and prayer and a proper relationship with God must precede any of your efforts. Nehemiah wouldn't even get a chance to go before the king for four months later. He had to be committed that this was something God was indeed calling him to do. And it's during that four months that Nehemiah most likely kept praying, he kept fasting, he kept seeking God, he kept getting reports on what was happening in Jerusalem. He was assessing what would be required. What kind of resources are they going to need? Where are they going to get the resources from? How are they going to even get the resources there? What kind of negotiations was going to be necessary for them to get these resources for free or next to nothing? There was these details, 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 details. All before there was action. And all of it was bathed in prayer and fasting and worship. 
So if we hope to have anything different this year, if we hope to be able to lie a line down in the sand and say, from now on, things are going to be different, we've got to put our priorities and our projects in order. We have to seek God over and over and over. We've got to spend time with God and allow Him to open up our minds to all of these opportunities, all of these details that maybe we haven't thought about because He wants to work in all of those details to show His glory in. He's not just putting something on our heart and say, hey, figure it out. He wants to do a great thing through you. He wants to make significant change through you in 2020, but He wants to do something greater in you. We cannot accomplish what God lays on our hearts without God. And for some of you, that may be that you need to commit coming to a place of worship on a regular basis. For some of you, it may be that you need to spend more time in prayer and even fasting before you step out to rebuild what you see is broken. Because the truth is that the journey ahead is not going to be easy. If it was easy, you wouldn't find yourself in your situation. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be lots of obstacles. There's going to be temptations to quit. People in your way, people doubting you, people even laughing at you about your ideas and your efforts. And are you ready to deal with those complications? Jesus was tempted by Satan after he was baptized and he launched into his public ministry. We see here that there's these three officials, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, who will do everything to make sure that the walls are not built in Jerusalem. There's going to be people around you for whatever reason. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're selfish. They just don't want you to change. They're not going to have your support. You're not going to be supporting them. They don't like how you're doing it or why you're doing it. And you've got to be able to look at them in the face and say, I am going to start rebuilding. It's already determined. And you don't have any right or position or influence on me to say otherwise. Now, we're not being nasty. We're not being mean. We're not being rude. We just know that we have this confidence before God. God's already laid it on my heart to do this. I've sought Him Day after day, after week, after week, and month after month, I know this is what God's calling me to do. And you may not be able to escape the presence of the negative people in your life, but you can ignore their negativity. Which leads me to the second from now on that I want to look at. This is in Galatians chapter 6. It's towards the end of the Bible. This is on page 1035 if you're using the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Galatians chapter 6. The end of the book, verses 15 through 17, Galatians 6. For both circumcision and uncircumcision means nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow the standard and mercy to the Israel God. From now on. There's our phrase. From now on. Let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body scars for the cause of Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church at Galatia. There were some people who were turning away from what they had originally learned about the gospel, about Jesus, and they were following some crazy beliefs. And in the course of him defending the truth, he's also having to defend himself 
as an apostle. He's saying the truth that he was teaching is indeed the truth, and he is a reliable resource. The things that he's teaching was not to please people, to make people happy, to make people like him. The things that he was teaching was not some made-up story so that he can manipulate the poor and the weak to fill up his pockets with treasures. He's communicating what God has done, what God has told him, and it has changed his life. And so he writes to this church addressing things that had happened in the past. He talks about his conversion. He talks about how he was learning from the apostles. He talks about the situation between him and the apostles. Some thought there was division there. He talked about how he needed to call out another leader in front of everyone because they were doing things not right. He talked about how some people do ministry one way and he was doing ministry the other way. It wasn't wrong, it was just different. But he wanted them to stop getting tripped up on this gossip and all of these false beliefs and stay true to the fundamentals of the faith. And so that's why Paul comes to the end of this chapter. He says, from now on, let no one cause me any trouble because I bear in my body the scars of the cause of Jesus. In some case, I think we need to be like Paul. We need to have those conversations with those people who just don't understand, who maybe are negative in our life. And we just go to them and, and say, I just need to tell you what's really happening. What's going on here? Maybe there's a misunderstanding. Maybe they're just simply mistaken on what has happened, and they need to hear the truth from you. So you can go to them and tell them, here's what's happened. Here's what's going on. You're able to talk to them, listen to them, see how they saw things, and then give your defense, rather than just blasting back and forth with these ideals, things that aren't true. At the end of it, Paul declares that whether they were going to follow him or not, it didn't make any difference to him. That was on them. If people were going to do things differently than what he would do, fine. As long as everyone would not deviate from the truth of Jesus. And he didn't want to keep defending himself over and over and over, somehow to win them over. He wasn't going to allow these people to cause him any more trouble. He wasn't going to allow these people to get in their head, to get under his skin, to bother him. He knew the truth, and he was living out that truth. He wasn't just talking about it, he was living it out. He wasn't just telling people to do one thing and then he was doing the opposite. It was real for him. The proof was in his body. He had the scars of beatings as he stood up for Jesus. He had scars from traveling from town to town, relying on the hospitality of others. His life showed that he believed in this thing, that it was real for him, that it was important to him. So it's down the road, months later, at the end of 2020, where your life will be proof that God has called you to do something. Where you said, from now on, were you serious about it? Is it real? Is it important? We can come back here, we can talk about the things that happened. Maybe the things that didn't go very well. But your life will be a reflection of what was re built. Well, we looked at a couple of challenges to change. I want to look at two more from now on statements that I think should be a part of what kind of things should be thinking about when we're doing from now on. The first one comes from Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, page 913 in the Bibles that you're using in the chairs. Luke 5, we're going to look at 9 through 11. 
This is the beginning of Jesus in his ministry. He was preaching and teaching about salvation and the kingdom of God. And he was getting quite popular within the region. Everybody had heard about Jesus. Everyone was following Jesus. But he hadn't selected his 12 disciples. And on one occasion, Jesus was preaching a large crowd for him. And he jumped into a boat that was on the lakeshore and went out a little ways just so that everyone can hear him. Well, after he was done, he told Simon, Peter, who owned the boat, let's go out and let's go fishing. Toss your nets out. Well, Peter wasn't too excited about this idea because they had just come back from an unsuccessful fishing trip the night before. They had just cleaned their nets, and it took a long time to do that. What Jesus was asking was a huge inconvenience in their life. They didn't want to get their nets all dirty and have to clean them again, but Jesus asked, so they did it anyways. Well, suddenly it says that there was more fish in their nets than they were able to pull up. So many fish in their nets that Peter has to call over to another boat. Hey, come help. That other boat shows up and there's so many fish that their boats began to sink. Their boats began to sink and they were so amazed about what they saw that the Bible actually says they were scared. They were scared. They're thinking, how is this even possible? Never seen so many fish caught before. How is this even possible? Who is this Jesus guy? And that's just like God. When God shows up, it's almost eerie, creepy. We have this confidence. Hey, hey God is real. I've seen him. I've heard rumors about him, but no, no, I've seen him with my own eyes. And it almost scares us. Because God is big. And then we recognize that God is mindful of us. He cares about us. And so we get to verse 9 of Luke chapter 5. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on. You will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. There's a couple things I think we need to pay attention to in this passage. One thing is that they left everything and followed God. Think about that. From now on, they left everything. They left their previous way of living and supporting their family. They left their entire business behind, years and years of investment, all their assets. They left it behind, but listen to this. They left the miracle behind. All of those fish, they left behind. When God shows up in a big way in your life, we don't care necessarily about the miracles we care about the miracle maker. I don't know how you did that, but I just want to be around you. I want to be around you, not so that I can get more miracles, but I just want to be next to the person who could do what they just did. I've never seen anything like that before. And I'm willing to leave that all behind because I don't care about that anymore. I just want to be with you. And I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen God work in your life. You've seen how God has rescued you from your sin. You've accepted his gift of salvation. And you're seeking regularly not what he can give you, but he himself. 
You're seeking to be close to him at every moment. You're saying, just give me Jesus. That's all I want. When God is close, we don't worry about the situation or the outcome. Maybe you worried about that before, but it doesn't bother you anymore. You have God. We can even come to a point where we're not afraid of death because we know that we anticipate that's the moment where I get to be with God face to face. And so if your goal for this year is about doing something awesome and you're asking God to bless you with your amazing things, I don't think that we get it. The thing that should be driving us the most, the thing that should be our desire, the thing that gets us up early in the morning, the thing that keeps us up late at night is not the things that we have to do, but how can we spend more time with God? How can we spend more time with Him? And I'm right there with you. If I'm honest, we're saying, I'm not really there. I want to say that I'm there, but I'm not there. I didn't read the Bible every day of the year. I didn't read the entire Bible through. I didn't spend time praying and developing my relationship with him. I wasn't on my knees weeping and fasting, asking God, what is your agenda in my life? And I think that's what we really need to know here is that Jesus tells them what's going to change. He's the one who says, from now on, you're going to do something. Jesus tells them how their lives are not going to involve fishing fish, but fishing people. Jesus lets them know he didn't provide that miracle so they can have an awesome week at the fish market. He was providing that miracle because he wanted to change their life. He wanted to change their focus. Our lives aren't about what we can accomplish and gain here on this earth. When we meet God, our lives are completely changed for his purpose. And that purpose always involves telling other people about Jesus. If we want to see miracles happen in our life, maybe we need to stop praying for those miracles just to make our life better, but asking for those miracles so that we can tell others about Jesus. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen the church have as many miracles as in the days of Jesus or the apostles or other places around the world because we're not thinking about how we can use those miracles to lead other people to God. Jesus cared about their business. He cares about you. He cares about your hopes and your dreams and your desires and wants. But he wanted their skills and their drive for fishing to be used for greater purposes. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Stop thinking about all these other things. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The skills and the resources and the abilities that you have and how God has been blessing you as you use those skills and resources are not to just to get fish in your boat. It's to get people into His. When we meet Jesus, Jesus makes His mission our ambition. We don't make His mission our ambition. Jesus makes His mission our ambition. Jesus is the one who said, from now on, you're going to do this. Jesus didn't say, from now on, you're going to follow me around, look at all the amazing things I do, clap once in a while. He's not going to say, hey, you're going to, from now on, you're just going to make sure you get to church on Sunday and you're going to give 10% of the fish profit that I'm providing so that the leaders of the church can tell other people about Jesus. Jesus says, from now on, you do. 
And these guys didn't know how to do any of that. But Jesus says, you do from now on, from now on. There's one more that I selected that I want us to look at. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. It's on page 1025 in the Bibles and the chairs if you're using those. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. There's our phrase right at the beginning. From now on. From now on. Then we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. He has committed the message, the ministry of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, spokesperson for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the Apostle Paul again, and similar to his writing to the church at Galatia, he's writing to this church in Corinth to defend the good news of Jesus. He having to defend himself as an apostle against these false teachers that were in the church and leading people astray. The Apostle Paul wasn't really well received by this church in Corinth, um, and he really needed to be firm in rebuking them uh, for their false teaching. He gets really frustrated because he's so committed to the truth of Jesus that he can't stand when someone else takes the name of Jesus and sticks it in mud. It gets them all fired up. There's actually another letter written to the church in Corinth. We don't have that letter anymore. And so 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians. So in this Corinthians, Paul is kind of giving his explanation for his reaction, why he blew up, why he got so mad. He's saying it's not on a personal matter. It wasn't him versus the other teacher, and he just didn't like how he did things. This was truth against false truth. All he cared about was whether people were hearing the truth of the good news of Jesus and if they have accepted that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's all he cared about. So he says that when he looks at people, he doesn't see them in a purely human way. He doesn't see them as just co-workers or neighbors or delivery workers or stay-at-home mom or dads. He sees them as souls who need Jesus. Souls that without Jesus will spend eternity apart from God in hell. He sees them as souls that once they accept Jesus Christ, they are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. So there's no longer a reason to focus on how they used to live or how they, what they used to be like. Let's look at them as a new creation in Christ. They may be young and they're not perfect. They're not figuring it all out. But they have understood and been reconciled to God. 
Their sins have been forgiven. They've trusted in God for salvation. They've recognized they are sinners in need of a Savior, and they found that that Savior is Jesus. And that's all he cares about. That has become his ambition. That's become his mission, to know whether someone knows Jesus Christ and has made them their personal Lord and Savior. That's his ambition, his calling, his objective, his goal, his resolution, his focus is to share the message of God. God's mission has to be our ambition. Every decision that we make, every appointment we put on our schedule, every word that comes out of our mouth, every party we go to that our friends invite us over, every selfie we're posting on Snapchat, every meme that we're reposting on Facebook, is it pointing people towards Jesus or taking the name of Jesus and dragging it in the mud? The question for us as we begin in 2020 is what do you want to see changed from now on? And do you want it to change for your own benefit? Or are you going to ask God to get involved, to take your desire, your hopes, and your dreams, and not only attach a miracle to it, but attaching a miracle to it so that you can tell others about God? Like you want to be healthier? That's great. We all should be healthier. But we need to seek God in prayer and fasting And allow Him to guide us and allow that to be His desire, our desire, to be healthy so that we can tell others about Jesus. Not so that we can just be healthy and live a good life, but so we can be healthier to carry on His mission. Maybe there's a hurtful habit in our life we want to get rid of. We don't want to deal with that anymore. Great. Seek God in prayer and fast. Get on our knees and weep. Talk to others about resources that are needed. And seek God for only what he can do. God, I need you to give a victory in my life. But don't give me just a victory so that my life is better. Give me a victory so that I can tell others about how to find victory in Jesus. God wants to do things in your life. He wants you to change from now on. But from now on, you will be fishers of people. If you're already a new creation in Christ, that is your mission. That is your goal. That is your focus. If you haven't accepted the gift of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, I'm like Paul, I beg you, I urge you, be reconciled to God. What is your mission for 2020? What is your from now on? Let's pray. God, your your message is always challenging. It challenges us from our normal routine. God, we know that you have given us stuff on this earth to keep our days busy, work to do, children to take care of, all sorts of lists to do's. But God, our life is to be centered around your mission. You've called us to do that. You've commanded us to do that. God, let us make your mission our ambition. God, we know that we need your help in that. We know that it's not going to be easy. We pray that we can get reminded so we can stay committed 
throughout the entire year to tell somebody about Jesus, just to tell them what we do know, our own experience, maybe to invite them to church where they can hear it here. Whatever it takes, God, may that be our ambition. We need your help, Lord, and we know that you are there helping us along the way. It's through your son's Jesus' name that we can pray. Amen.